Hello everyone, this is Mrs. G's Storytime, and we are reading Secret at Pheasant Cottage by Patricia Sanjan, with permission of Moody Publishing Company, and we are on Chapter 13, An Unforgettable Day. The next day, Pedro and Pepito came knocking at our door in a great state of excitement, inviting me to join them and their uncle from Barcelona. He was taking the rubber boat down to the sea, and they were taking a picnic to the lonely beach with white sands and were leaving right away. I hesitated. I wanted to go, but it would mean leaving my father for hours. Couldn't you come too, Daddy? I asked. Not now, he replied. I must do some riding this morning, but I may stroll along and join you after lunch. So we all set off in our swimming things, dancing along at the edge of the waves. The uncle from Barcelona kept the children in fits of laughter with his jokes and stories, but since I couldn't understand what he was saying, I tripped along in front, enjoying the beach with its smells and sounds. I walked slowly, looking for shells and running in and out of the water, wishing this walk wouldn't last forever. But it was not so far after all. We reached our special bay long before lunchtime. The rubber boat was a great success, and we all had rides and turns with Uncle splashing along behind like an enormous porpoise. Petro and Pepito loved it and climbed in and out at least 50 times. Then, exhausted from swimming and laughing and shouting, we pulled the boat into the beach and settled down to our picnic. Bread, olives, sardines, gershwins, tomatoes, followed by slice after slice of watermelon. Uncle made his way towards a beach cafe for a drink, and he said he wouldn't be long, and until he came back, no one was to go into the sea or play with the boat. Rosita and Pedro and Pepito nodded vigorously, but Conchito was not listening. She sat with her back to us, busy making a sandcastle, and no one took any notice of her. Uncle left us, and Rosita and I searched for treasures in the rock pools while the boys went off to roll, roll down the sand dunes. It was very peaceful in this small bay, and since by now it was lunchtime, we were the only people there. Suddenly Pedro and Pepito, suddenly screaming loud, rancid clouds that shocked the sight, sleepy silence. Rosita and I whirled around to see them running across the sand, pointing and screaming. Pointing at what? We turned and saw. Some way out to the sea, the rubber boat bobbing, bobbed on the sparkling water, and in it sat Conchita quite enjoying the ride. We all ran and screamed and hurled ourselves into the sea, but Rosita realized that once that once that we could not that we could never reach her. The boat, carried by the wind, was moving out to the sea much quickly than we could swim, tipping dangerously. She hauled in her brothers and gave frantic directions. They were to run like the wind to the cafe and fetch uncle. I was to run like the wind in the opposite direction to where we had seen the fishermen painting their boats and mending their nets. She would stay and watch in case Conchita got frightened and fell into the sea. Never before had I run as fast that day, unseen, blinded with horror, for it was all our fault. How could I explain in Spanish? How, and how would they still be there? And, and would they come? Conchita was only a baby. Supposing when we got back and there was just an empty boat bobbling on the waves, Please, please, God, I cried as I sped across the sand, and then Sully remembered he was not far away at all. He was a friend close beside me who had once walked on the waves. He was still, he could still walk on the waves and reach that bobbing little boat with that precious baby in it. Lucy, Lucy, are you practicing for the Olympics? 
With great relief, I realized I had bumped into my father, strolling along to join us. I flung my arms around his waist, too breathless to speak, looked up at him and pointed backward. He saw by my expression that something was seriously wrong, and he shaded his eyes to see what I was pointing at. Then he shouted, Go, fetch the fisherman behind the rock in the boat. Pushing me away from him, he began to run as I'd never dreamed he could. Exhausted and panting, I somehow managed to stumble on and find the two fishermen stretched out asleep on the sand in the shade of their boat. I jumped on them, shook them, and they sprang up, swearing fiercely in Spanish, but somehow I managed to let them know that I was in trouble and persuaded them to come and see. As soon as we came inside of the little rubber boat, we realized that help was no longer needed. It had already arrived. My father had reached the boat and was swimming slowly back, propelling it with his hand while Conchita sat smiling and enjoying her little trip. Uncle and the boys had just arrived with a great many other people, all talking excitingly. Only Rosita stood tense and rigid. Her black eyes looked enormous in her white face, and I ran to comfort her, but she did not seem to notice me. Soon they were in shallow water, and my father gave the boat a little shove, and it was carried on to the breaking waves, and Conchita came running in through the spray straight into the arms of Rosita who had hysterics and sat down on the beach laughing and crying and clasping her frightened little sister. Everyone pushed and jostled around the children, and no one except me turned to welcome the man walking in from the sea. How slowly he walked. He, He seemed to be staring at me without seeing me, and his face was a strange blue-gray color. I ran into the water and held out my hands. He reached blindly towards me and stumbled. Then he swayed and fell face down on the sand, taking great, gasping breaths. He was instantly surrounded by a noisy, excited crowd, and for a time I could not see what was happening. I think one of the fishermen was trying to do artificial respiration, and Uncle was running up the beach. I heard the words policia and ambulancia repeated many times, and more and more people arrived. I tried to push my way through the crowd, but I was held back, for they needed room at the center. And then the noise died away, and quietness seemed to gather around the still figure in the center. People began shaking their heads and sighing deeply. At last we heard the siren wail of the ambulance, and some men in uniform came running down the beach, followed by two policemen. My father was carried away on a stretcher. I struggled loose from the crowd and ran after them, pleading to be allowed to go with him. But the door was slammed in my face, and he was taken away. We wandered home in a sorry procession. Rosita walked beside me, loving and consoling, but I shook my head and refused to be comforted. When we reached the end, the children poured out the story to Lola, who wept and scolded Conchita and hugged her and scolded the family and wept some more. And when she heard about my father, she dumped Conchita on the bed, folded me in her arms, and then she sent her brother immediately to the hospital to ask for news. He was away a long time, and we sat huddled in the kitchen. Rosita could not take her eyes off Conchita. Lola tried to tempt me to eat, but I could do nothing but wait anxiously. At last we heard fast, heavy footsteps in the street. An uncle came in, and we all gathered around him and started talking very fast while I watched their faces and gathered that my father was still alive. Then Lola threw a shawl over her head, held out her hand to me, and pointed up the hill. So I supposed we were going to the hospital. We twisted our way up many sloping cobbled streets before we reached the iron gates. 
An old nun let me let us in, and she and Lola talked rapidly in low voices while I sat on the bench. That afternoon sun was shut out, and I gazed around the cool corridor and wondered where my father was and what he looked like now. Opposite me on the wall held a crucifix, not a stone cross like the one by the Bet Farm, but a cross with a figure on it. I suddenly remembered the crucifixion was something that had happened nearly 2,000 years ago. It was all over, and death had not been the end. Jesus had come back and was alive and strong and able to help me. I turned my face away from the figure on the cross and thought of my father, that last desperate swim, and little Conchita safe and alive, singing in the kitchen, while Daddy had nearly died instead. He got there just in time to save her. Perhaps if I could see him and tell him, he'd understand. The nun came over to me. She was a gentle old woman, and thankfully she knew a few words of English. Your father, she said, very ill, bad heart, come, but no much talk. She laid her fingers on her lips, and I followed her up the staircase and into a small private ward where my father sat in bed, propped upright with pillows. He had a rubber tube in each nostril attached to a cylinder. His face was still a strange color, but the loud breathing had stopped, and his eyes were open and fixed on me. I kissed him very gently and sat down as close as possible beside him. The nun waited by the door. Lucy, darling, my father spoke in a whisper. His words came haughtily. Are you all right? Yes, Daddy. Are you? You're better, aren't you? A little. Is Lola here? Yes, she's downstairs. Shall I fetch her? In a minute. Stay a little longer. And then I want to tell you to tell her to send a telegram to your grandfather. He must come at once. My face lit up, and when he comes, will you see him and talk to him? Yes, yes, I want to talk to him. Is Conchita all right? Yes, quite all right. She's singing, and they're all so glad she's alive. I hesitated, not quite knowing how to say what, say what I so much wanted to say. Daddy, you nearly died, didn't you, so that Conchita could be rescued and not drown? And Daddy, I was thinking, it was rather like Jesus on the cross, wasn't it? Dying instead of us to save us. If you hadn't swum out and nearly died, she'd been carried right away or fallen out. You got there just in time, didn't you? He closed his eyes and the nun came forward and laid her hand on my shoulder. Little girl, come, she said. Your father, very ill, so you come, you go now. Tomorrow he be, he be better, tomorrow come. She waited while I kissed him, and he held out his hand in both of he held my hand in both of his, and opened his eyes again. Yes, just in time, he whispered. Wasn't it a good thing, Lucy, that I was there just in time? Tomorrow we'll be reading chapter fourteen, Jesus in my heart. I love you and I'm praying for you and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye bye.